Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Good morning. Thank you for being with us today. And at this time, I'm going to have Michael and Lori Young join me up here. During the month of July, we're trying to take a few moments just to talk and share a little bit about families that are, are living on mission for Jesus in some really practical ways. And so, uh, so grateful to have Michael and Lori Young come up and share just a little bit of the ways that they are serving. They, they, uh, they've been here for, what, 10 years? Roughly? Probably. Probably 10 years, yeah. So if you guys want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, what you enjoy doing in, during the week. During the week? Okay. Uh, Michael and Lori Young. Um, you know, like, like Tyson said, we've been here a long time, a little while. Um, through the week? Uh, I'm in the sewage department. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm, I'm an electrician. I work over at Clear Creek over at uh, Heritage Lake. So I, uh, I take care of lift stations there. And, and actually, Lori's in the kind of the same industry. I'll let her talk about that. Uh, yeah. Hi, my name is Lori Young, and I'm in the clean water and dirty water business of engineering. So that's what my job is. They are, are professional wizards, but they spend their time giving a, a number of different ways. Did you guys share just a little bit about how you got involved with the food pantry and what you do there? And... You too. Um, so we had heard about shared blessings for a number of years and always thought oh, that's something we'd really like to do, but we never had time. We never made time to do that, and uh, when COVID hit, um, you know, life changed, and um, I know I was really kind of clinging to the Westbridge website, what's going on, is there any way to help anywhere, and I think John had maybe sent out a a note about shared blessings um, being an opportunity, and everything had changed there. They had gone from serving people inside to now um, it's all drive-through, so you have to come out. They needed people to bring food outside, to load food in cars, and um, so they do this every Saturday morning and every Tuesday night. And I thought, well, that's something that we can do. And um, we found out about it. And our, we had, our sons at that time were freshmen, sophomore in high school. And we went, and it was something all of us could do together. And we just fell in love with it. And so we've been there ever since. Michael, you want to share a little bit about what you guys do there and how, what that looks like? Right. So a lot of times you do a service project or you, you, you know, volunteering, you're doing good things. And after a while, you kind of feel like you got to do it. You, oh, man, it's Tuesday night. I got to go do something. Or it's Wednesday night. I got to do this, that, the other. And really, with the food pantry, for us, it's, it's like we, it's a, it's a relief to get away from life a little bit. And we actually look forward to getting away from the hustle and bustle. It's uh, on Tuesdays and Saturdays. Um, it's just really nice to get away and, and, serve, and serve others and just kind of get away from the hustle and bustle. Um, on, um, you know, Aaron Moore and, uh, and Avram Thornburg, and now that Andrew's back home um, when he's not working, uh, every Tuesday night we go to La Ra. And, uh, but before we do that, we go to the food pantry to serve, and it's just really a great, uh, great, time to, great time to serve there. I know you guys have built some relationships with some of the people there. You want to share maybe one of those that uh, doesn't mean something? Sure, yeah, it's been um, a great opportunity, um, an eye-opening. So we've met people really from all over the world, and uh, so there's families from Uganda, from Dominican Republic, from Haiti, uh, South Africa, Kenya, um, along with all of uh, just 
the community, and so that's been really cool. And we've um, had some really neat opportunities to um, grow friendships with um, some families from Uganda, and it's been a lot of fun and uh, just really blessing in every way. Here at Westbridge, we stress uh, the importance of small groups, and that is really a good, good, good ministry. Um, and we have our own small group uh, with the Crails here at Westbridge. But uh, uh, the food pantry has really kind of become a, an unofficial small group for us as well. And w one of my favorite things is when people come through the lines, and we really like to interact with the people. And when people come through the lines, every once in a while, we'll, I'll get asked, well, what church are you affiliated with, or, or, or how long have you been coming to this church? Because we go do it at the Methodist Church. And it's really neat to be able to say, well, you know what, as you look around here, there's several churches represented. We're not all just from, this, from the Methodist church and, and all different kinds of ages. And some people don't even go to church and they just like to serve. So that's really an outreach in and of itself of being able to have that fellowship. So, um, and, and all ages and uh, are involved. And it's, it's a great, that's why we like to go. That's yeah. why we like to go. That's know. great. You guys ever need any help? Yeah, we, we can use <laughs> Yeah, um, thanks for asking that. I think um, there's a great group of volunteers, and one of the things that just amazes me about shared blessings is the number of people. Um, I don't know if when Mindy and Diane started this years ago had envisioned what it has, God, how, how God has transformed it, but there are people um, all throughout the week that do all kinds of things. I mean, you can um, work directly with the clients, or you can... Um, you can pack bags on Tuesday mornings, or you can um, pick up stuff from Costco, or all kinds of things. I mean, there is something that really anybody can do, and I think age-wise, probably from four years old to 100, there's something that you could uh, be involved in. And we have, I think Ray just turned 88, he's there every Tuesday night. Um, he loads dog food and cars for people and, and loves it. Um, and we have families that come, and I think it's great. Um, it's a great opportunity to do some, to serve together with your family. Um, it seems like there's not a lot of opportunities, or maybe there's more than we realize. Um, but the other great thing is you don't have to bring anything. You don't have to bake anything. You don't have to prepare anything. You don't have to plan. You just show up, smile, and um, love people. Well, Michael and Lori, thank you. Did you have something else to share? Well, I was, but Lori covered most of it. Um, I, I guess um, for some odd reason, Tyson wanted us to come up and, you know, represent the food pantry like we're some sort of, you know, experts on the food pantry. But truth be known, um, we do serve on Tuesdays and Saturdays. But there is, talking about the hands and feet of Christ, um, if we just showed up on Tuesdays and Saturdays with, you know, 15 or 20 of us, it wouldn't happen. There's something going on in that food pantry all the time. There's a lot of background work, there's deliveries, um, Lori touched on some of that, but there is just, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful, it's a well-oiled machine in there, and just God provides um, God's re the resources and uh, in people and food and finances, so yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. That's cool. Well, thank you for serving there and being willing to share a little bit about it. We just want to give you a window into some opportunities through the month of July, where obviously Michael and Lori, they're, they're very busy with their own personal careers. They're very talented and gifted, with their, and they handle their family, and they have all these things, but yet they take time to do this and just wanted to show a little bit of what, uh, if you don't know Mindy Duckett, she helped start that years ago, and so just so cool to see where it's at now, and thanks for sharing with us this morning. Let's give them a round. Well, today we're going to be in the book of Acts. If you want to flip over there 
real quick as we get started. We do appreciate you being here today. We're so grateful for the opportunity to worship with you and the chance to spend some time together in God's Word. And there was a young boy named Jan Coem who came to the United States from a small farming town outside of Ukraine, uh, Kiev, Ukraine, when he was about eight years old. And Jan and his mom had the opportunity to get a government-sponsored apartment just outside of San Diego in California. So of all places to immigrate to, they picked a great one. <clears throat> she got a job, and young Jan was incredibly gifted at math and science. He got a job uh, washing the floor of a local mini-mart, and then ended up getting a chance to go to college, uh, ended up becoming a computer programmer coder, uh, worked for Yahoo, <clears throat> and eventually applied to Facebook where he got turned down. So he goes to get a new job, and as part of his new job, he's handed an Apple iPhone for the very first time in his life. He goes to the App Store, and he decides that there's not a great messaging app on the App Store. This is in 2008, 2009. And so Jan goes to work on what we now know is called WhatsApp. If you've ever used WhatsApp, we don't use it as much here in the United States, but it's a great way to communicate with people all over the world. We communicate with a number of our missionaries that way. But Jan had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity came from almost nothing and ended up selling WhatsApp to Facebook in 2019 for $19 billion. Jan didn't want to just be an entrepreneur, though. He wanted to actually help people, so he took his contract that he had for Facebook for $19 billion, and he went back to the place where he stood and waited in line for food stamps, and he signed it on the contract for $19 billion on the steps of the place where he got food stamps and then turned around and handed them a check for another couple million dollars right there and has since supported them yearly from here on out. I love reading stories about people who have made the most of the opportunity they've been given because Jan was a, a, an immigrant from the Ukraine that took the opportunities that came his way and he, and he made the most of them. As believers, we're called to make the most of every opportunity that comes our way. And sometimes we fail to recognize that even the simple mundane tasks, like showing up at a Tuesday and a, and a Saturday at the food pantry, can have exponential impact on people's lives. And so often we want to discount what we do. I'm just an electrician. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a dad. I'm just a, a, an engineer. But Jan was wiping the floors of a mini-mart taking the opportunities that God had brought his way, and God came and just completely transformed his story for a, a number of people's goods. So Jan's on his work for another way to help people right now, but just an incredible story. In, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And I share the story of Jan just as a reminder. This guy took mopping the floor as an opportunity to learn and get better, to make money so that he could go to college and help his mom. He made the most of the opportunity he had. So often when we think about sharing our faith or we think about living the Christian life, we discount those little moments. But Paul says, in particular, for those of us who are interacting with outsiders, which would be hopefully all of us, we've got to make the most of the every opportunity and to be wise with the time that we have. Paul is on his second missionary journey in the middle of Acts chapter 16 when he stopped in a town called Philippi. And there he meets a lady named Lydia. Lydia is an influential businesswoman who does incredible good for the, for the early church. And Paul, as you know, was this custom. He would show up to a town and he would go into the synagogue and he would tell people about Jesus and how he's the fulfillment. He's the Messiah. 
So Paul does that in Philippi, but there is no synagogue. So he goes to what's called the place of prayer, which is down by the river. He meets Lydia. He goes back to where he's staying. He goes out another day to do that again, and he is faced with another opportunity. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 16, verse 16, if you want to follow along with me. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates, and they said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer commanded them to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in their inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked him, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others at his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them. He and all his household were baptized. Then the jailer brought him into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, him and his whole household. So Paul is just doing what Paul always does. I don't know what you have planned for this week, but you're probably planning to go to work or maybe you're headed on vacation. Maybe you're just going to sit around and watch Netflix. You've made your plan. And you do that, as the psalmist says, that we make our plans, but the Lord establishes our steps. That's what Paul was doing. He was just going back to the place of prayer where he meets this girl who has a demon inside of her, but yet she's speaking the truth. And it's such an interesting conundrum for Paul. It says that uh, they were headed there, and this particular young girl was telling people they're servants of the Most High God. But Paul apparently could only take it for so long because he eventually gets annoyed by it and tells the spirit to come out of her. Now, this does seem odd, at least to me it did, because uh, Paul apparently recognized that having a demon-possessed person wasn't the best billboard for your fledgling church community to get started, right? Everybody knew who she was in town, knew that she did have a demon, and he figured even though she's telling the truth, this probably isn't the best method for coming alongside to show people what Jesus is like. So he turns around and he casts the demon out. It's not like the movies where you got to say it three times. It's not, there's no recitation involved here. There's no hocus pocus or Beetlejuice or anything else. It's just in the name of Jesus, leave, and the Spirit left her. Paul made the most of his opportunity that he had in front of him. He took advantage of where God had placed him, and he calls you and I to do the same today and this week. If we're going to make the most of every opportunity, we have to be wise in how we act. 
we're going to make the most of every opportunity, we've got to be wise in the way that we act. For Paul, he happened to be doing what God had called him to do, headed back to the place of prayer. Undoubtedly, he'd met Lydia the day before or the week before. He's going back there to try and, and to win more people to Jesus, and he's faced with what is an interruption in his schedule. The young girl is interrupting him not just once, not just twice, but to the point where it's annoying. It's like for those of you who are parents, you know, it's like dad, 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 dad. You know, you eventually you just you don't want to hear dad anymore, right? But he turns around, he casts the demon out of the young girl, and it causes a whole new set of problems for Paul. If we're going to make the most of every opportunity, we have to be wise in the way that we act. Here's a couple ways that we can be wise in the way that we act. We probably aren't going to be interrupted by a demon-possessed girl this week, but we do have interruptions that come our way. Matter of fact, yesterday as I, was, I wasn't real happy with the way the message was going, I came here to get ready, and I got a phone call, and I was interrupted. And my first thought was, I'm trying to get ready for this, and, and God has interrupted my day. And as I headed to the hospital to do what was more important, I was reminded time and time again that we will selfishly go after what's easiest and what's best for us over and over and over again. Here's a couple ways that we can be wise in the way that we act. If we're going to share our faith, there's two things that often happen, right? And I'm not talking about full-on share the gospel. I'm just talking about living for Jesus in your daily life, which is about all that we're talking about this month in July. If we're going to do that, there's two ways, or a couple ways, actually, that we we do this. Um, Sometimes we undershare about our faith. You know what I mean by undershare about our faith? Sometimes we're like, yeah, I've just uh, been real busy working hard, and, and it just it's all worked out. Or I got lucky and things just kind of planned out. We missed the opportunity to display how good and how great God is. Now, that's undersharing. Then there's oversharing where we come over on the other side of the spectrum and we, we, we're just weird, okay? And there's no way around this and, and I do it and you do it, but like we do this in a couple different ways. So sometimes we minimize what God has done and we don't give him the credit. And sometimes we, we're, we're just weird. And so people on the outside look at this. It's true. We're a peculiar people. We worship a God who was dead for three days and came back from the, light, uh, from the dead. So that's just different. But we don't need to make it weird. A couple ways we make it weird Um, Sometimes we use Christianese. You know what I'm talking about with Christianese? We use words and phrases that only make sense to us. Now, it's true. Right here today, we can use these phrases in this room, and it's not a big deal. But sometimes on the outside, some of the phrases that we use and some of the, the conversations that we have come across as a little strange. Let me give you a couple. I've said them. You've said them. So we're just all guilty of this. Um, number one would be uh, we, we're going to do life together. Well, to a person who's outside the church, they're like, are they starting a compound to build a cult? Or well, what are we saying? We're saying that we want to live in community and, and be so connected that every facet of our life is connected. But to an outsider, doing life together seems like you're going to start a compound next week and they need to phone it into the local news. Let me give you another one. Um, we're going to love on kids. I know what you are saying. But the outsiders may think we need to call the police. Right? Or here's another one that I've prayed before. You've probably prayed this before, so this may not come out all the time, but um, there's, there's tons of these phrases. Um, hedge of protection. It's incredibly biblical to pray for protection. But if we're going to do that, let's pray for like a fortress of protection or a hedge is a little plant. Like, I'm not feeling super secure about that, right? So there's these phrases that we use. If we're going to make the most of every opportunity, it's not that you can't say them. It's just you've got to be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. 
So if you talk about this and you're like, yeah, we're going to do life together, and we're going to use all these Christianese phrases, people on the outside are like, I don't know what they're doing, but that seems really, really weird. And then the flip side of that is sometimes we undershare, and we just don't give God the credit that he deserves. And so those are a couple ways. Another way that you can be wise in the way we act is to eliminate hypocrisy, right? There's some things we know that, we, that we're just hypocritical. Every person in this world, Christian or non-Christian, is a hypocrite. The sooner you realize that and come to grips with that, the better off you'll be. And so by the way that we talk and the way that we act and the way that we present ourselves, and none of us do this perfectly, by the way. I don't either. I shared one story from already from yesterday, and I've got probably four more from the past week of that we just didn't take advantage of the opportunities that we had. Paul did that. He cast this demon out because he realized that was more important to protect what God was doing than just let this girl run free in the middle of Philippi. He goes on to say in verse 19 that when their owners realized that the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. They lost money because this girl could no longer tell the future. But that's not the reason that these guys give to the magistrates and the local leaders. They say that they're Jews who are doing things that are unlawful for us Romans to, to accept. The reason they did this is so they could get the crowd on their side. Two years prior to this, Emperor Claudius had issued a decree that all the Jews should be banned from Rome. Philippi was a Roman colony, so it stands to reason that many people there also had this anti-Semitism view, and they used that to drum up the crowd against Paul and Silas. It wasn't that they lost the money. They certainly were mad about that, but these guys go to the magistrates in verse 20 and 21 and say, look, these guys are doing things that are unlawful for us to accept. Now, unfortunately, uh, it may come to that in our world as well one day where people look to the church and they say that's kind of thing's not good with our customs or not good with our culture. You can see that already happening among, uh, among LGBTQ community uh, pushing for some of the, the religious speech to be labeled as hate speech. And so it may come to that. The first century church lived among immense persecution, though, and grew like crazy. And if it comes to that, we will continue to grow, not for our own personal growth benefit, but because the Lord is good. I'm grateful for the country we live in, but it may not always be that way. And it may come a day where we have to stand for what God has called us to do rather than the things of our culture. Paul and Silas give us an incredible TED Talk here of how to do this well. They give us a presentation over the next couple verses of how to do this well. Over July 4th, I was reading, did you know that the average length of the empire across all civilizations is 250 years old? The United States turned 246 this past July 4th. I hope that the United States stays like it is for as long as possible, but in reality, our allegiance has to be to Jesus Christ and his church, not just to the United States. So the crowd joins in in verse 22 through 24, and these guys are going to show us what it's like to make the most of every opportunity in the midst of intense persecution and do so in a way that's honoring to God. And so if you've ever wondered, how do you do that? I've got a job that's really difficult. These people are hostile. I think that all of Acts chapter 16 gives us the template for how to live this way. The crowd joins in. These guys end up getting flogged. Keep in mind they're Roman citizens. We'll come back to that in a little bit. They get put in prison, and it just isn't regular prison. This is like max security, inner cell, nasty Roman prison. They're put into shackles. And we see that unexpected circumstances start to test 
not only their faith, but they test our faith as well. Unexpected circumstances show us exactly where we're at. I've got to get better at this. I'm sure you do too. We can't treat every interruption in our life like it's the end of the world. These guys were flogged and beaten and put in prison and go on to find out that they're actually singing and praising and praying to God. I don't think that would be my first response. I don't think that'd be many of our first response. Reminds me of the book I read as a, a little boy called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. You remember this book? Alexander has a bad day, and it's because his cereal's gone, the gum is in his hair, his brother did all these other things. And if you remember, Alexander's uh, solution to handling this problem was he wanted to move to Australia. Right? And at the end of the book, we find Alexander has this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And you have to think that maybe Paul and Silas started to feel like this, right? Just nothing could go their way. I mean, what does the boy's mom say at the end of the book? Do you remember what she says at the end of the book after all of this? And Alexander just goes on a rant like so many of us would do. She turns around and she says to him, she says, Alexander, some days are just like that even in Australia. And some days it's going to be really, really good following Jesus. And some days it's going to be not very much fun following Jesus. But Paul and Silas give us the way in which we can make the most of every opportunity as they head to prison simply for setting a demon free in a little girl, which for most of us would be like, that's probably a good day. But they get beat, they get put in prison, and they get shackled there. Here's the thing. We can't allow our circumstances to dictate our faith. We have to allow our faith to dictate how we respond to our circumstances. So many times we are the first to jump out, and when something doesn't go out quite our way, we don't respond in faith. We respond in fear. And I do it, and you do it. There's no record that these guys entered into prison and that they were incredibly depressed. There's no record that they they wrote a long Facebook post about it so everybody could feel sympathy for them. What does it say? It says in verse 25 that at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. If you're going to underline something in your Bible, underline that the other prisoners were listening to them. Did you know that researchers think that at any given time in your life, five to seven people are watching you. They're watching you. And it could simply be that they're watching you cross the street. It could be that they're watching you parent your kids in the restaurant. It could be that they're watching you how you handle traumatic events that happen your way. But people are watching us all the time. And so it's important because Paul and Silas show us that, look, these guys, their first response is to go to pray and to sing to God. And these other prisoners are listening to what has happened, happening with them. If we're going to make the most of every opportunity, we have to realize that others are watching the way that we live and others are watching how we respond. For so many of you, you recognize that there's opportunities and there's sometimes where it just kind of falls in your lap. I, I remember one time this happened with me. A guy literally came up to me and said, how do I become right with God? And it was like, this is the easiest day in my life. That's happened one time. Most of the time, it's not like that. Most of the time, it's like I hear the entire sob story, and then it's up to me to say, hey, you know one of the things that's helped me get through this situation? Our high school missions train spent a week making the most of every single opportunity, and you guys saw how God provided for you, and he's going to do that. He provides for Paul and Silas. He'll provide for you and for me. And so it isn't always going to be easy, and it may not always make sense, but God is up to something in the mundane parts of life goes on to say in verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
And at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought to the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. So the earthquake happens, the chains go loose, and this guy is ready to kill himself. And I love that Paul's concern for his captor. For me, I'd be like, sure, go for it, man. We're, we're out of here. But Paul says, no, 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 don't harm yourself. We're all here. He was making the most of the opportunity. Once again, he was so laser-focused on living on mission for Jesus that he was like, wait a minute, let's see what happens, right? God's going to show up here. I don't know how, but let's see what happens. And what does he do? He says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. In verse 29, it goes on to say, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked the question, sir, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. As I just mentioned, I've had one time in my life as a pastor where somebody came up to me and said, how do I become right with God? This guy was listening to what Paul and Silas were praying and singing about. He saw how they responded, how it, it, in such a, a turmoil of events that they're all mixed up because it seems to go from heal the, the girl who was telling the future to suddenly appear before the magistrates, to suddenly flogged and beaten, to suddenly put in prison, to suddenly in prison, let's start praying and singing and listening to him all night long. And this jailer comes to the conclusion that these guys know the way, that the only way that can be right with God and quite frankly, even the physical salvation that can happen for this man. So he comes before them and he says, what do I got to do to be saved? And Paul tells him, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your entire household. Belief is such a, a strange thing to fully wrap our heads around because we believe a lot of things, but what the belief that, that Paul is talking about that we need to understand is that it isn't just some sort of mental assent, but it's belief where you start to trust it so much that it changes your life. And it says that it spoke to him and his entire household. Each person has to make their own decision about what they believe about Jesus. You're not saved because your grandma is saved. You're not saved because you go to church. You're not saved because you're a good person. There's only one way to be saved, and it's by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But belief is one of those things that you trust it so much it changes your life. It's not just a belief about something. It's a belief in something. If we're going to make the most of every opportunity, we've got to know what to share. I don't know if you're going to get this question this week, what do I have to do to be saved? I, I kind of doubt it. But you're going to get about 100 other questions that are going to potentially lead you that if you're, if you're bold enough and you're following what the Spirit's leading, that you might get the opportunity to share this. Let me share you a little bit about what belief is. I, I, there's a chart behind me that you can um, scan it. It's a little hard to read on the, the, the screen behind me here. But I want to share you the difference in belief because this is what so often comes up when people um, seek to understand belief better. And that is, is that there's belief of Jesus and there's belief in Jesus. Belief of Jesus is what many people in our world would, would claim. There's very few people that would dispute that Jesus was actually alive. That is no longer really a, a, a dispute that comes up. A belief of Jesus puts him on par with any historical figure. It says that he's a good man. 
that he died an untimely death and somebody whose ideas that we should consider but not necessarily live by and there's no real impact in your daily life. For the most people, this is how they view Jesus. They say, do you believe in Jesus? They'd say, I believe in this kind of Jesus, absolutely. But that's not what Paul was talking about. And that's not what the Bible lays out. And so if we're going to talk about what's it mean to actually believe in Jesus, because this is littered throughout the pages of the New Testament, is that Jesus is above any historical figure. That Jesus himself is God. That he paid for your sins. That he's the only way to be right with God. And that he completely changes your life. When Paul tells him, sir, what do I do, have to do to be saved? He says, you have to believe in Jesus. Not believe about Jesus, but believe in Jesus. And that belief would change your life. If you grew up in, in church circles, you've heard some phrases like this growing up. Um, you may have heard that you prayed a prayer, or you walked an aisle, or you got baptized. But if belief didn't motivate you to do any of those things, then you had a belief of Jesus and not a belief in Jesus. And what Paul is trying to help these guys, and I think he's trying to help us understand as well, if we're going to make the most of every opportunity, we've got to clear up that this is what Paul, and more specifically what Jesus is talking about. Of the 24 times in the book of Acts that belief is mentioned, it always leads to baptism. So the 24 times that baptism is mentioned, there's always belief preceding it. Even one of the verses that some people use to say that baptism would save you, which is not biblical, would be Acts 2.38. It says, repent and be baptized. You don't repent unless you believe that you need to repent. And so there's always this element of belief that happens first, and then we're baptized and so that is one of the things where sometimes we get confused about. And so Paul shares with this man, he says, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now that doesn't mean that suddenly his household was saved because this guy was. It was they all had to make their own decision. And we know that from the next verse in verse 32 where it says they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. This wasn't just a simple like, hey, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and then suddenly they're baptized and happy ever after. That is not how it happened. They they spent some time sharing what Jesus did, how he died on the cross for their sins, how he was raised from the dead. Uh, one of the things, this can be a struggle, especially with kids, and even in my own thoughts, uh, helping my kids understand this, there's a book that's called um, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart by J.D. Greer. If you've never read this, this is an incredible book, especially if you grew up in church uh, and you're trying to help your kids or you're trying to help your understa your understand belief better, this is an incredible book. I'd encourage you to get it and check it out. So Paul tells them, you got to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately him and his entire household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. If you remember the definition I used for belief is that you trust something so much it changes your life. It says in verse 34 that this guy invited him in. They cleaned up their wounds. But before they did any of that, they got, this guy was like, I got to be baptized. He understood what he did. He understood the decision that he had made to follow Jesus and that baptism is the next logical step. And if you've never done that before, I would encourage you to do that because that's what God has called you to do. And this guy, he believes in Jesus, and then suddenly he's baptized. If, if you've never been baptized, I'm going to throw a thing on the screen here real quick. You can sign up to be baptized next week. We'll fill up the tub, and you can come and get baptized. There's nothing special about the water, but it, there is something special about the obedience there is to following Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, 
then you haven't been baptized, I'd encourage you to take that next step. You can scan that and sign up to be baptized next week. But I want you to notice verse 34. It says that the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. As I was wrapping things up, I came across this quote that was from William Barclay that says, if our Christianity doesn't make us kind, it is not real. And I was so struck with that, that this jailer who 24 hours prior to interacting with Paul at this moment was happy to put him in stocks and potentially even kill him, says he was filled with joy. Something changed in that man's life. And for those of us who are following Jesus, something has to change in our life. We will not always get it right. I do not, I certainly do not always get it right. But for us, if, if we're going to talk about Christianity and we're going to make the most of our opportunity, we've got to realize that we have, there's got to be a change in us. And for some of us, it's, it means we've got to be kind. For some of us, we've got to be loving. For some of us, we've got to be patient. Because there's an opportunity that God may bring your way this week, and it's not contingent on you. If you've, if you've been sitting here over this entire message going, oh man, I'm stressed about the opportunity that might come my way this week. Because some of you, I understand, are like that. You can just take a deep breath right now. Because if he brings you to an opportunity this week, he will be with you in the midst of it. And you can look at Paul's life where he did this over and over again. Do you think Paul's natural reaction was probably just, let's sit down and have a good time singing and praying in prison? No, that's from the Lord. If you struggle to be kind, you struggle to be patient, that's not going to come from you. There's not enough pick yourself up by the bootstraps in this world to make you that way. It is only going to be by the grace and goodness of God. And so Paul, it's interesting, uh, we don't have time to read the rest of this here, but in the following verses, Paul confronts the magistrates and he tells them that he's a Roman citizen. It's interesting that he didn't lead with that. He didn't lead with his citizenship, he led with Christ. And it's interesting that he pushes back, I think ultimately to help the church's standing. If you read the rest of chapter 16, you'll see that Paul tells the magistrates, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, and then they kind of figure it out like, ooh, we messed this up. And he graciously confronts them about this. So it's not that we never push back against how the government interacts. It's just we do so in a gracious and kind way. But I think he does it to help the church as they move forward. If you've ever read the book of Philippians, you'll come across chapter 4. And chapter 4 is one of those incredibly um, unique passages in Scripture. There's one verse that's repeated over and over again in Philippians chapter 4. If you've been around for any time, you'll know. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I'll say it again, rejoice. It's against this backdrop that I think Philippians chapter 4 takes on a whole new meaning. Because this wasn't just a phrase for Paul to say. This wasn't just something that he dreamt up. This was something that he's in a Philippian jail, experiencing joy and provision from God, and that's how he can say, I can rejoice. As you go through your week, you might have an opportunity this week to declare God's goodness and grace in a way that none of us ever will. Or it may just be a Tuesday, and God may just call you to be faithful. I can assure you that he's in both places, and I can assure you in both opportunities, you can rejoice. And so today, if you find yourself thinking, man, I don't quite always handle things the right way like myself, I just want to encourage you as we wrap up this morning, just ask God to help you respond in the right way to make the most of every opportunity. 
Some days you're going to nail it. Some days you're not. Don't give up when you fail to live up to the standard that God has for us. Don't use excuses. I'm not a patient person. I get frustrated easily. But genuinely seek to make the most of every opportunity that God brings your way this week. It might be as simple as just trying to encourage somebody. It might be uh, instead of undersharing, maybe we share, you know what, God's been really good in my life. It might be, I don't know what God's going to bring your way. But I do know that he's going to be there regardless of what he brings you to. And so as you think about that, maybe there's a way that you need to ask God for help this morning. Maybe you need to believe in Jesus if you've never come to that place in your life. And you can begin that right here, right now. You can admit that you're a sinner and there's a problem in your life. You can believe that Jesus Christ fixes that problem. And you can confess that he's Lord. And if he's Lord, he's in charge and you're not. So when we talk about following Jesus, we're talking about reorienting our life around that. You can do that right here and right now. And if you've done that and you've not been baptized, you can sign up to be baptized. So I don't know what God has for each one of us this week. But I just want to encourage you to make the most of every opportunity. Paul does this on repeat for us for the next couple chapters, and I hope you'll come back next week if you want to head, head start reading Acts chapter 17. Because he gets opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and we get them preserved in the pages of Scripture. Here's my guess. God is going to bring you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. It's probably not going to make it into Scripture. Matter of fact, I can guarantee it won't. But it might change somebody's eternity, or it just might change their day. And I think both of them are honoring to God. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the opportunity today that you've given us to take a time just to reevaluate kind of what's going on with us. And God, I have to admit, and I'm sure there's many here that would admit as well, maybe some even online watching that would say, God, we don't always live up to what you've called us to do. And so God, we want to start today from this moment on recognizing the first and foremost that you're in control, that you've called us in Colossians, in Ephesians, and have alluded to it in Philippians, that we are to be wise in the way that we interact with outsiders, that we're called to make the most of every opportunity. God, I thank you that it, Paul did this in the midst of a Philippian jail. And God, I recognize that most of us won't face some sort of jail this week, but we probably will face a difficult circumstance, something that throws us off our game, something that helps us be reminded that we're human. And so, God, if that happens, I pray that we would trust you, that we would make the most of that opportunity. God, I also recognize there'll be a lot of opportunities this week that are just us walking in to get a Coke at the gas station, holding a door for somebody as they go in. And so, God, whether we find ourselves in the midst of the mundane or whether we find ourselves with somebody calling us and asking us how to be right with you, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful. God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you now, I pray that you would just impress upon their heart that, they can be trust, that you can be trusted, that they can begin a relationship with you now. God, if they need to be baptized to follow in obedience to you, I pray that you'd give them the courage to do that this next week. But God, most of all, we are thankful for your son, Jesus, who makes all this possible, who has rescued so many of us. And so God, help us to make the most of the opportunities you bring our way. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.